What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my co-host, Richard Harris. Welcome again to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. And we are super excited to talk to Marcus Chan for the first time. Good to meet you. In, sort of in person, Marcus, for the first yes. time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the show with us, man. Hey, I'm pumped to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Sweet. Today's show is brought to you by Lead411, where you can get unlimited mobile direct phone numbers, sales data via role changes, job, and funding extent, fundings, and slick Chrome extension that plugs right into LinkedIn. You know, for a sales guy, Scott, yeah. you sounded like you were reading a script, dude. <laughs> you, like, I want, I, let, me, let me be Scott Lease for a second. And by the way, check out By the way, your script you sent me has multiple typos in it, which just, dude, I'm you like, did that to me. I'm like Ron Burgundy, dude. I'm clearly like Ron Burgundy, okay? If it's on the screen, I'm going to read it. Right. By, the, by the way, so Marcus, you're, you're a sales leader and a, and a strategist. You know, what kind of coaching would you give someone like Scott who has seen this and read this? By the way, please go check out Lead 411. They are super cool. We like them. But, like, this happens all the time in sales, right? So why don't we just start there? Talk about coaching. What What is Marcus's coaching style? Whether we talk about how you coach Scott, but. Talk about your coaching style. Yeah, I'm super direct. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Scott, listen, that was awful. <laughs> that was awful. All right. I'm going to give it to you straight because I want to help you, right? You know, because at the end of the day, my intent is always going to be from the heart to help Scott, to help my reps get the results, right? And, and I would say, hey, listen, let's, let's work on it. Let's talk about specifically what can we tactically work on, right? Whether it's inflection or tone or maybe it's, maybe it's just like, hey, let's just print out the script, rewrite it so it fits how you talk, right? Like make it not make it a framework versus a script, you know, and I'm, I'm very direct with them. And of course I would have them go through it again. Right. And I would coach and do it over and over until it's refined to the point. They feel very, very comfortable with it and it actually flows. Right. Not that I'm dogging you Scott, but you know, that's the, that's, that's how it would be done. I'm, I'm, re I'm rewriting Richard's typo right now. <laughs> yeah, fix the Richard's typos first, you know? Dude, I'm going to do this again at the end, and I'm going to nail it, and I'm going to get Marcus's certified Marcus Chan coaching approval. Boom. Verified. So let's, let's introduce Marcus, who's, who's uh, one of the 2020 LinkedIn sales stars. Uh, it's yet one more list I'm not a part of. Uh, but Marcus comes from uh, sellmoresellbetter.io. Uh, obviously, he's a sales coach. Uh, sales leader, sales trainer. Um, so, Marcus, welcome to the show. And then, and then I have one more question for you. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, um, so you, you mentioned something about tone and, and inflection. And I'm starting to see that more and more, particularly as you start to work with more of the veterans in sales, right? Where they do know, they do kind of have it nailed a little bit. How do you coach, how do you coach inflection? I'm just curious. Yeah. It's not yeah. something I coach, but I notice it. And so it's not something we, you know, we've done a hundred, you're our 115th episode. We've never talked about inflection. You know, which, which is, which is so fascinating to me. Right. Cause um, you know, and you know, I always see these, these funny posts on LinkedIn. It's like, Hey, like, you know, don't do scripts, do scripts, cold call dead. It's not dead. Right. And all, all kind of same stuff. Right. But um, at, at the end of the day, you know, when you are writing a script, if you do not have inflection, if you do not have tone, people can tell and people get bored by it, right? And, and the thing is, is like, it's first understanding that, right? So um, when you're training somebody, you can't just give them a framework and script and say, go do it. You have to teach them what inflection sounds like, 
right? And, and that really starts from, I think, number one, leading by example. So, if, you know, if you're coaching and training someone, how are you teaching them the scripts? How are you teaching them the framework? If you lack inflection, if you lack tone, and you don't know how to change your pace, then they're going to mimic that, you know? So it's really, really critical. It starts from the very get-go. Once you're providing that script, you go through and you, you show them exactly how it sounds, right? And sometimes it's even easier to have them just close their eyes and listen to how you go through the script so they can focus on certain things. Now, for example, if it was uh, an actual script, like, you know, written out on Word or, or PowerPoint, whatever it's going to be, as they go through a very simple way and say, hey, I want you to highlight or bold certain words that you're going to emphasize on the phone. So then this way, it has the impact for you. It's going to remind you, right? So you need a prompt, right? And then also have them understand, you know, um, it, 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 have them understand a, your script, should, you, you should sound almost Shakespearean, right? And of course, you know, they're never going to sound Shakespearean. But when they try to do it, though, and they overdo it, it becomes very, very powerful. And then, of course, when you're walking through with them, and you say, I want you to hammer this word, I want you to focus on this, then you get to see that as well. Now, when you, this is for like very specific for like leaders out there, when you're putting scripts and stuff together, do you accent or highlight or color code words in the script? Uh, I, I typically do not because that's for them. Some people, they want to emphasize certain words for themselves. It's based on how their speech pattern is going to be, right? So whatever they feel most, you know, comfortable with, because a lot of times what I find um, most people, are probably more monotone than they think they are, you know? So when they start, they're kind of like, they kind of go through a scripting and they kind of sound like, hi, my name is Marcus. I'm with so-and-so. Can I bother you for like 13 seconds? You know, like that's how they sound. So uh, going through with them and teach them directly, you know, how it sounds and then have them go through it and then hide certain words too. That can really help them too, right? But I like to have them have the freedom of choice of it because if you make it too robotic, and yeah, it's not gonna work so, well. You know? So, co so coaching inflection to you is kind of it's very personal. It's specific to exactly. each person on the team and whatnot, right? Hundred percent, right? And um, you know, and as as we all know, um, how you sound is really more important than what you actually say, especially on the phones, right? So, because uh, you need to be able to engage them with your tonality and your inflection. You know, and, and for, and sometime when you're brand new, like if you are a brand new SDR, you never made, made a cold call, that person may need, okay, literally, I want you to emphasize this word, emphasize this word. I want you to really hammer home this point, you know, um, and this is where it's really critical that, you know, if there's call recording software that they can hear themselves too. So one, one of the ways before we got fancy, a lot of tech that's out there now, like, uh, you know. Coaching a rep, I'll literally record them on my phone. If it feels face to face. I'll record them and play back, right? So they can hear themselves right there. And of course, they sound terrible usually, right? And they're a little embarrassed by it. But it's really enlightening for them to have that self awareness. Because once they're more aware, then they can uh, tweak and adjust, you know. And, and then of course, practice, right? Um, really, really key. So, so you know, I, br I brought this up really as a joke, right? Like because you know, Scott. You know, which is going to be awesome. Like our sponsor is going to love the fact that we've mentioned so many times on this role play, right? So leave a four one one for those wondering who our sponsor is. Uh, but 
do you, is this something you really go in and coach on a regular basis? Because I just sort of brought this up randomly as sort of like, hey, this is a funny way to start the, the conversation. How much are you in your training? And, and we might need to dive a little bit more so people have context of who you are, what you do. Um, just, but I am curious, how much do you talk about tonality? Yeah, great point. So um, uh, what I'll do is, so if, if I'm doing one-on-one coaching, that's super easy, right? Um, you know, for obvious reasons, right? Because I'm literally talking to them via Zoom usually, right? Um, but in my, in my other program, my digital programs, uh, I, I emphasize it quite a bit, right? Because uh, if my digital programs were, I'm teaching cold calling, I literally go, I go through all the scripts. They hear exactly how I do it. And then I also re-emphasize it again over certain specific points. Like, no, okay, notate the inflection here. Notate this. And I go through multiple times as well, right? And then, of course, um, you know, because I was providing like a private, uh, private uh, Facebook group for support, if someone's having some sort of struggles, right, usually I'll say, hey, I want you to, uh, you know, DM me a voice memo. I want to hear what your script sounds like. Tell, send over, I want to hear exactly how you're doing it, right? And oftentimes, majority, like majority, I'm like, I'm doing is usually really, really monotone uh, and or, you know, their attitude sounds, uh, you know, weak. They, they sound like they lack confidence, you know? So they, it sounds like they're trying to do, but it, it, it's kind of like, you can tell when they haven't practiced. You can tell. You can tell if they have not gone through a few times. You can tell they're, even if they have a script in front of them, they're sitting there on the phones and they're calling and by the 20th dial, their body language starts dipping down and they start losing energy and confidence. And then, of course, the prospect sniffs it right out from the gatekeeper to the prospect. To the, to the in, in particular, if, you know, the 19 calls before that went nowhere, right? 100%. How many times have you seen salespeople like, okay, let's go, guys. Like, I'm geared up for the day, right? I'm in the zone. And then... 17, 18, 19 calls in a row, just go to voicemail or something like that. Right. And you get lulled to sleep. And then the 20th one picks up the phone and you're just, you're not on point. Right? 100%, 100%, right? And this is actually why um, the ones who are in my digital program, I teach them to prime their mind, right? So um, I don't teach this cold calling by itself, just to, like what you see on the phones, but it's also breaking down specifically, how do you mentally prime your mind for peak performance on the phones? If you think about this, when you're on the phones, you expend so much energy, like mental energy exhaustion. So if you don't have a way to recover energy while you're dialing, you will wear out. And that's why after the 19th dial, most reps are like falling on their chair. How do you coach specifically reps to kind of regain their energy or get that yeah. enthusiasm back? Because you know, I, I certainly know how I would do that back when I had an office and right. I had a sales team all around me, right? Now right. I'm in a different situation. So, you know, how, how are you coaching these reps to either take care of themselves and yes. then the sales managers and sales leaders that you coach, how are you yes. coaching them to take care of the reps and make sure that they recharge their battery, like you said? Yeah. And it's so critical. Right. Um, and th this is where it's like, it's kind of funny. I've had people say, Hey, listen, like they'll joke with me. Like, Hey, how do I get better on the phones? I'm like, number one, get a good night's sleep. Right. Like you don't sleep well. You feel like you feel like you feel terrible next day. Right. You know, wake up before and actually warm up. So, um, it, it starts with, so in my program, I, I teach what I call the M five system. Right. And there's M five system. It's really for life in general. Right. And there's five, there's five M's that you got to make sure you're absolutely dialed to truly feel fulfilled and to be, to be your best version of yourself, right? So 
Uh, number one is uh, your M, first M is your mind. Is your mindset right? Right. And everyone's got different ways of doing things. Uh, you know, next M is your muscle. Are you, are you at least doing some sort of physical work and feel better that you feel better about yourself, right? You, 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 whether it's, if it's lifting weights, if it's running or just yoga, it doesn't matter. Some sort of M like that's, that's a muscle piece. Then there's your matter, right? Are you clear on your purpose of why you're doing what you're doing? Right. And then there's your money, right? Are you making the money you want? Do you have your finances in order? Right. And then your last one's your marriage, right? And it's not just with your spouse, but really if you picture the people you surround yourself with, if you were had to marry them, quote unquote, marry them, would you actually hang out with them? Right. Do they make you better? Right. So if you have your M5 dialed, you're going to be in a really good spot. And you, you tie it right into how you prime your mind for the phones. And everyone's a little bit different. So you have to have your own way of priming your mind. Right. So if that means you need to wake up and you need to stretch a little bit, read something positive or listen to, you know, your guys' podcast to get fired up, do it before you get on the phones. Right. And then before we get on the phones, how are you warming up the neural pathways in your brain to make those calls? Like if your first call is the first time you walk through your scripting for the morning, you're probably going to botch call number one. You probably are. But what if you just did it out loud five times in a row, imagining you went through four or five no's before you got the appointment? How would you handle it? The worst phone call possible. And if you do that five, 10 times in a row, now you mapped it in your brain, how you can make that call. And then you jump on the call and you go. Now, uh, to get you more granular, on top of that, um, you have to build a structure and routine for your reps or for yourself to maximize your peak performance. And I picture it's just like any athletic event. So whether it's say it's uh, tennis or boxing, you don't box for an hour and a half, two hours. You box in short increments and you take a break. Same with the phones. But if you're gonna hit, hit a hard for 30 minutes straight and then take a five minute breather where you walk and stretch, great you expend the energy for the time period, whether it's 30 minutes or 50 minutes, and then you take a break to recover energy. And in that break, you're not on your CRM, you are like moving around, you're stretching, you're getting snack, doing something that's gonna prime you so you feel relaxed amount of time. I think, I think in particular, that holds true if you're new in your, in your sales career, yes. or, or in my opinion, new at your current role. Yes. Because of the whole experience and pitches is, is different. And it's so fascinating to me that, you know, anybody who's been through any kind of athletic endeavor or sports, like I, you know, I, I played college tennis, for example, and I'm thinking, you know, before, before our matches, we you warm up. That's it. I don't just walk out on the court and just, it's, it's go time. That's right. I mean, professional tennis players, they hit for 30 to 45 minutes before they even step on the court. And then you warm up for 10, 15 minutes with your opponent, That's and right. then you start. But those of us in sales, to your point, mm -hmm. you know, you just crawl out of bed, yeah. maybe slam a cup of coffee, and boom, I start dialing. And it's almost like the expectation is, well, I know these first 10 calls are gonna be shit. I just gotta get them out of the way. Right, you know, what's funny to me is, um, and it's like, especially in, in times like today, you have to, as a leader, you have to create that environment for your team virtually. Right. And yeah, they may not like it. I get that. Right. I understand they may not like it. They may not want to jump on a quick team call and do some quick role plays or, you know, get people warmed. I understand it's not comfortable, but at the end of the day, um, they may hate you for 30 days, but they'll love you day 31 when the commission hits. Right. And it's putting your team in the best position to win by doing the things that maybe they don't want to do, but it's going to really help them, you know, 
and, and, and that goes from like, even how do you structure your calls, right? Like for example, you should be structuring your calls. Your warmest, hottest calls should always be the first hour. It's my belief. If your hottest calls are the first hour, then you can get warmed up and you feel really good to get some wind under your belt, right? Like for example, like uh, when I was a rep, you know, years ago, <clears throat> like literally like I would, I would do that type of routine. I would structure my calls. My first hour, I'll book four or five appointments, right? I'll book eight to 10 appointments in two, three hours, right? And my calendar was full, right? And I did that consistently, not because I was better than anybody else, but simply because I prime my mind to be better. I prime myself to go win early on and have success early. And I built it all throughout. It started from when I woke up to I got done dialing, right? But it all takes intention. Was it hard as hell to do that? Absolutely. But when you do right. it, it consistently, change results. I want to ask you a little bit about this. Um, particularly, and, and at, at the philosophical level, I get it, right? And the role play, I get it. Uh, it's a different world, right? We're in the middle of COVID, yeah. a lot of work from home, a lot of onboarding from home. You're a solo salesperson or a solo SDR. Anything you've been, co you know, yes, priming the mind and things like that, but anything else that you can give advice to people about in terms of, you know, in that isolation of having to do the cold call or even maybe even being a manager and how do you manage my yeah. team that's all remote? Just, you know, you're coaching people all the time. What, what advice are you giving these days yeah. right now? Yeah, and I think there's, um, and you have to really read your team, get to know your team, right? Because every team's a little bit different and depending on the dynamic of the team um, in terms of uh, how cohesive are they. And it's so hard. If you have a team full of new reps and they all got on board around this time, you don't really have that team cohesion. And you definitely are at disadvantage for sure. There's no doubt about that. And that makes it so much harder. Um, and that's where it gets really critical where uh, as a leader, um, you really need to coach more than ever on an individual basis, right? And that means as a leader, it being, you know, having that set one-on-one -on -one time with your reps every week, in my, in my belief is, is, is absolutely vital, especially when they're brand new, they're feeling lost, they're feeling scared, it's hard on the phones, they're getting all types of objections, right? And depending how well the onboarding process is, it can be really hard. So that with, having that one-on-one -on -one is so vital to be able to not just check, it's not like, hey, how, how you know, like, how was your day? Did you book any appointments? How was this? It's more like, hey, what are your biggest obstacles? How can I help you remove them? And what support can I best provide you? And really building upon that so you can start building a really good team culture of helping each other out. And that could lead to other things where it's like, is it a daily rally? Perhaps, maybe, but people get zoomed out. So you have to be really cautious of that. Like, I get zoomed out, right? Like, they're going to get zoomed out too, right? Um, it can't just be a Slack channel with, with a bunch of like wins at all the time because maybe they don't like that. Because they're getting sick of getting bombarded by Slack notifications, right? So really know what's your team want? What's going to be the best situation to help them uh, stay as cohesive as possible, but also win? Because maybe they say, listen, we don't want to hear from anybody on the team until, until I don't know, maybe once a week on a happy hour. Okay, sure. Then you got to build that environment to do that, right? But uh, listening to your team's needs and adapting as it goes is so vital. And that might change two months later, right? I think as uh, – I think you see, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of see even with the posts on like LinkedIn, it's kind of like people go like, okay, you know what? Like everyone should come out of the COVID with like, with new skills development. Maybe, I mean, sure. Theoretically, yes. But now we're three, four months in and people are exhausted. <laughs> All right. So Different. I'm going to shift. I'm going to pull you out of this conversation. We went yes. in deep really quick on some coaching yeah. and tactics, yeah, we did. <laughs> um, which is good. Like that, that's cool. 
Uh, tell people, you know, what is your organization, uh, just so they know uh, from a frame of reference. And then I want to hear, like, I want to hear about, you know, young Marcus sales kid at the age of six. What was, what was, what were you hawking, right? Yeah, 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 sure. So, uh, so um, my business is Venley Consulting Group. And what's funny is I actually try, it's going to get you in a laugh. I try to do as little consulting as possible. And I try to do as little coaching as possible. <laughs> okay. Sound like Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty lazy dude, actually, right? So, you know, I really enjoy my time. I enjoy hey, doing man. my thing. You just, said, I enjoy you just said you're an amazing dude. Wow. Yeah. And he yeah. said it so eloquently. Yeah, yeah. So he's a lazy dude. A lazy dude. Lazy <laughs> dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, 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 my business, so primarily, majority of my business is actually through my digital programs, right? So I have a uh, comprehensive A to Z training for B2B sales professionals that teaches you everything from mindset, prospecting, discovery, the sales process, closing, handle objections to growing and exploding accounts. Um, I teach them step-by-step. Step. If you were to film a perfect sales process, it's taught step-by-step. Step. It's all digital, right? Um, and uh, it's actually, I'm on the fourth edition of a re completely redoing it. So this program's been around for a couple of years now, and I've been revamping it. I, this is my fourth time revamping it. As I get more feedback, I make it better and better and better. So whether they're brand new or they're experienced, if they do a B2B sales process, it teaches them everything that they need to know to be highly effective. So we have people with zero experience to 30 years experience. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And then um, I do some coach consulting for sure as well because uh, people you know, still want that. But I really want people in the digital program because it's much more scalable, right? Um, but on my fourth edition, I'm actually completely do, doing a complete new revamp where it's really going to be um, a high-level coaching program, a group coaching program combined with my digital program. So it's, um, it's, it's, already, been, it's already transitioned to that point, and it's been awesome so, so far. So what, so what were you like as a kid? Were you the competitive sports player? Were you the kid with a little business going on all the time? Like, was sales the furthest thing from your mind? Oh, I was a super nerd. Right. So uh, how, do you, how do you define super nerd? What is it? What does that mean? I mean, I mean like, I mean, I, I was like the guy who had like no friends uh, growing up right, as a kid. Right. Like, I mean, well, first off, I, I grew up with, um, you know, I grew up with a speech impediment. Right. Um, and I didn't start speaking until I was four years old. And when I did start to speak at a massive stutter, I could barely speak. And I, I go through speech therapy classes. And because I didn't know how to speak very, very well, I actually uh, got really angry all the time. I couldn't process my emotions. So I got put through anger management as well. So people actually thought I was slow. People thought I was slow, had issues, had to go to special classes. People made fun of me growing up as a kid, right? And over time, eventually you start to overcome it, right? But it took a while. And you grew up incredibly insecure when you were always made fun of. And then you add in the piece that really, I grew up, I was born in Springfield, Oregon, and then moved to Eugene, Oregon. Um, not diverse at all. So I looked different. I couldn't really talk well. And people thought I was stupid. I'm like, great, awesome, right? So all these things were just how I grew up, you know? So uh, I was a kid, I played by myself. I did like the magic cards, you know, like made some friends here and there with the other, like, you know, kind of nerdy kids, right? And I really didn't know what I was gonna do. Now, uh, over time, um, I started building up a little bit of confidence, right? Um, when I learned how to swim, okay? And what's interesting was, um, so there was a, a beginner's class for swimming to get, to get on a swim team that I basically like failed, like, it, like most kids got done by age of six, took me until age of nine. So I was the slowest kid in the group, finally passed that, got on the swim team, right? And that was really an interesting moment there because that was kind of the first stepping stone. Within a year, I was one of the fastest kids in the state. 
And that was like a little confidence boost at the age of 10. Wait, 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 wait. You went from barely knowing how to swim, let's say, to one of the fastest kids in state in a year? Yeah. How, how How does that happen? I have no idea. I, thought, I really did. Right? Swimming's yeah. a little bit like that. Our, our boys swim, yeah. and there's just something about certain kids, whether it's the yeah. length of their arms or just how fast they can move. Like, we have kids on our – because our kids swim, yeah. and, you know, they're just happy to get a ribbon. So it's, it's, um, it's weird. It's just, it's I, I, really I can't really carry the water, sport. you know? I, I really had no idea, right? Um, and, you know, at that time, I still very much believe that talent is what made you successful, right? You got lucky by talent, right? And so from there, and that was cool for a little bit, right? And then that was cool till I hit puberty and then everyone else hit puberty and he grew like a foot and a half. And I stayed the same height. I'm still the same height since then. So, you know, after that, like everyone's way faster than me. And then of course, that's when growing up, like I, I continued to like put the work in, start breaking records and all these things was swimming. But that, my confidence started building over time because of that, right? And even then, then I went to, went to college you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. I, my parents were poor immigrants coming from China and Taiwan. They always told me they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or, you know, a pharmacist. I didn't know what I was going to do, you know? So I went undeclared, decided to go to business because I didn't know, and had to get a job eventually, right? And my, my first job was actually, I was still in school for this. So my parents had a restaurant growing up. And I, I worked there up until college started. And then they sold the restaurant. And that was going to be my primary income working there. Right? That was my goal for school. Got to pay for school myself. Then they sold the restaurant. I didn't know what I was going to do. So from there, uh, I got a part-time job at a swimsuit store selling Speedos. So now this is my first real job now, selling Speedos, right? Richard appreciates that, right? So uh, I'm like, okay. And I had no idea just some of those skills I started developing. That was really kind of part of sales. Like, I, I, one of the things that I did was on weekends, you'll find it's funny. On weekends, I'll go to swim meets, Richard. I'll go to swim meets on, on weekends. I would load up a, uh, I wake up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I would load up a 1991 Ford Ranger pickup truck full of Speedos and gear, drive an hour and a half, two hours to a local small town, set up stands at a swim meet, sling Speedos for like 12 hours until the meet was over. And then, I drive two hours back home. So I put in like easily a 14 to 16, 18 hour day, depending on the day. And I remember after my first one, uh, I had double the average sales. And my boss, like or the owner called me, was like, hey, how did you do that? I'm like, do what? Like, <laughs> you doubled sales. I'm like, I don't know. I just did what I was supposed to do, right? I showed up, I put stands up, I did everything you told me to do, right? They're like, but how did you do that, right? And then I started, you know, then, uh, my boss watched me in the store because she just saw that, that was also, I mean, it's a retail store. People coming in. It wasn't like outbound, right? So I'll, I would double everyone's order, right? And it was simple because people would come in and most people would kind of, they just take an order. I would walk them to them and say, hey, what are you here for? What are you, what are you looking to buy? Oh, you're, I'm looking to buy a, a suit for practice. Great. Do you have a racing suit too? No, do we need, do we need that? Yeah, 100% you need that. Like, what are you looking at? I don't know. Okay, enlighten them on that. How about racing goggles? We need racing goggles? Yeah, what happens when your goggles break? Oh, upselling goggles. And I didn't realize I was upselling people. I was just having a conversation and covering their needs, and I may provide a solution to solve their needs, right? And, and, that's, and that's where I started getting the sales. But even at that point, I wasn't willing to admit I was in sales because I was just a retail sales. I was still in school. And then when I graduated, 
um, I went to go work for a, a startup division of a major company. And um, it was B2B sales. It was to grow this division. And I still wasn't willing to admit I was in sales still because I, in my mind, I'm like, I get a chance to pioneer and build something from scratch. But why did, why did you have this hesitation that I'm not in sales? Was it, you know, and we still see it. Is, is it yeah. a dirty word? I don't yes. want to be seen that way. Was that yeah. what your mentality was? hundred percent. That's exactly what it was. I mean, it was in my mind, right? The, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type of image in your mind, the boy, the room image that I saw, right? That's, that's what I saw. And literally I remember, um, it was, when I went to my parents and I, and they said, Hey, what are you going to do? And I had five job offers on the table, right? Uh, like two more sales jobs, other three, like, like analyst jobs, right? I went for the, the lowest paying sales job, right? Because I saw the most opportunity. And I remember telling them they were pissed at me and they were shocked. Like, why are you going to sales? You know, it's going to be really hard. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to sales. I'm going to go build this business. Like I'm going to build this start from nothing. I'm going to, I'm going to be a pioneer in this. This is a huge opportunity. They didn't see that way. It was obviously sales, but in my mind, that stigma, right. And literally people, I remember that, like that the first several years, people like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm in sales. And then uh, they'd be like, Oh yeah. Sorry. Ooh. Yeah, what do you really want to do when you grow up? I'm like, well, I guess I'm building this business. So I was really hesitant. It actually took me years to admit I was in sales, right? It, it, it really was. And it was only because like at that point when you haven't really achieved success and you haven't really done things at all, you're so scared. Um, but fast forward a little bit when I started having some success and figuring it out, because I, I, I sucked when I started. I sucked for months when I started. But once I figured it out, then... I started having more success, but still, it still took years, at least compounding success for me to get to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm proudly in sales, right? I'm proudly in sales. It took me at least five years, at least five years to get to that point of being proud to say it. There, was there a moment? Was there a, wow, was it like the, we've talked to a couple of people and it's like, it's the big check. It's maybe even showing that big check to your parents and they're finally like, oh my God, you know, Okay, now we get it. Or yeah. they, or, or are they still today hounding you to be a doctor or a lawyer? Well, so what's really interesting is, um, so um, the first, the first piece was like, uh, when I first showed my W two, I took my my year in taxes. I, t- I showed my parents. <laughs> right. It's also the strangest thing to me. I would never yeah. have shown that to my parents. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm like, well, in in uh, in especially in, in my culture, right? It's very much about like you know saving face and all these things, right? So uh, when I showed them my W-2 and they're like, holy crap, like, how are you making more than us at, at your age, right? Like, like it, blew, it blew their mind, right? So, um, and then even, even at that point, they're kind of a little bit iffy, right? Um, and as I progressed, I started having more and more success and, you know, uh, I was getting promoted and leading massive teams and, you know, I had teams of, my last team was 110 employees, right? So I, I was over multiple states and I was leading large organizations and I would show them my stock portfolio and all the stock I was getting. And I would show them my W2 <laughs> and, and in their minds, they're like, you're making more than doctors. I'm so glad you weren't a doctor. Like, they're like, holy crap. Right. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, because in their mind, they had just already put the doctor on a pedestal. Right. So that was like, I had to prove to them over and over, like, like in Chinese culture, it's very much like earning the parents respect and like showing because it's always never enough. Right. That's, that's how I grew up. It's never enough. So I'm like, let me show you guys. Same, right? same thing in Jewish culture. It's never, yeah. trust me. So yeah, so I definitely had to show them and prove it to them. Right. And, and, and that was really, um, that was really, I mean, it was, it, it's something, you know, especially back then I was really, really proud of. I'm like, wow. Like, like, like 
this, this poor kid who's supposed to maybe grow up working in a restaurant or owning a restaurant is actually doing something and that's actually okay. Like creating a life that he actually enjoys. Right. And that was, um, that was, that was, that was like, okay, that was cool. But when I started having that real taste of it, it wasn't the first big paycheck. It was like the first, like first couple of years of having multiple six figures. It was like, okay, all right. I'm actually okay at sales. <laughs> I'm actually good at this stuff. <laughs> how, did, how did you, how did you prepare for the entrepreneurial journey for the, I mean, you were at CentOS for eight plus years. How did you, yeah. how did you, did, were you preparing to leave during that time and building all these things on the side? Did you say, fuck it one day and walk away? I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. You have listed as September 2019 as when you went full-time on your own business. Yes. And I didn't go full-time in my own business till October 2019. So yeah. we basically started as solopreneurs at the same exact time. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, like, how did you prepare to make that leap? And you also wrote something yesterday that I saw of telling somebody else, to be careful not to glamorize entrepreneurship too much. Yes. I'm wondering if you can kind of tie those things totally. together. Holy. So, um, you know, so I grew up never to think I was going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I did, did not want it. In fact, I shied away from it. Right. And, and the reason was I saw the nitty gritty. Like I, my parents had a restaurant. I mentioned that I started working at five years old. I was in the back of the restaurant chopping vegetables I'm busting tables at five years old right like I, like literally I was a kid like literally we, I worked all the time 40 hours is a part-time job back then all right like like I mean I was working as a kid growing up that was it was not uncommon for me to put in 100 hour weeks while going to school right so for me I'm like I, I, I hate that I'm like why would I ever want to like I'm physically exhausted why do I want to be an entrepreneur like why can't I use my brain to do something and make more money? That's why I thought, cause I saw, I saw the effort and the amount of money my parents were making. So I was very against it. So going to corporate life, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build a career, climb corporate ladder. That's my plan. And then, um, when you start having success for a while, it was, it was cool for a while, you know? And then, um, in 2015, uh, you know, I, I wasn't ready to make a, make a leap into entrepreneurship, but people kept saying, Hey, Marcus, you should write, some books, right? You know, I'm sure Scott, you, you wrote some books. So, you know, people might have told you the same thing. You're like, I should. So I'm like, let me, let me dabble into this a little bit, but let me just, I don't want hard copy. I want to try eBooks. So I wrote a couple of eBooks and I, I wanted to learn how to make money online. So I wrote a couple of eBooks. Um, I tested it and I, I sold pretty quickly. It wasn't a lot of money. It was like $9 an eBook, but I'm like, Oh wow. And there was something very magical that happened at that point. When you wake up and there's a $9 payment in a Stripe account, you're like, huh, that's real. Now, you can't, I couldn't quit my job off $9 in ebook, right? When, you're, when you perform well, you make money, it's, it's hard to leave, you know that. And so I'm like, okay, what else could I do? So then I started researching internet marketing and really figuring out digital courses. Okay, digital courses, that could be a higher ticket item. I could sell more of that. So, um, and at that point I started honing on sales. So I literally went and I, um, uh, took about two years cause I was still travel. I mean, I was in a hotel room at least hundred nights a year and I was traveling quite a bit. So, um, I had a baby in between that time. So I would really build this digital course, my first version late nights at the hotel room doing whatever, right. Took two, two years. Finally got done March, 2019. 
last year. Did a really soft launch. Just want to see if, it, if anyone would buy it. Sold two copies overnight. Made two grand like that. And that was like, oh crap. Light bulb. I, I could scale $1,000. I could scale this, right? So I'm like, okay. So, um, so then I started mapping out um, how I was going to basically leave corporate America. At that point, I, like, my priorities started changing too. Having a kid changed my priorities, right? I, like, I was watching my kid grow up. And I felt like I wasn't there. I was traveling so much. And that was really hard, right? I mean, my blood pressure was going up too. Like my blood pressure like, was, was, was climbing. I didn't feel healthy. I mean, I still love what I did, but like, I, I, now, I now realized it was a means to an end, right? And if my end goal is to have freedom do whatever I want, whenever I want, if I continue the same path, I would never leave. Like I, ha- I had to create a new path to a new life. And that life was in that digital program. That's when I realized it. So talk, so, so how much of it are you doing yourself, right? This is the entrepreneur thing, right? You got to put in a lot of leg hours and, and hard. Oh, so how, how much time is it taking you to build your courses? You're saying you're building it the fourth time in what, in 12 months? So, um, so uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's, well, it's almost been almost a year and a half now. This is my fourth time doing it now, right? Um, and the thing is, once you have the core down, like down, it's so much easier to refine and add things, right? Like, so every time I do a, a, new, a new edition, the, hard, the longest thing that takes the most amount of time is really the recording part, you know? Because once you have the core, I, I already had it all structured out. Like, it's already step by step. So to uh, remove things and add things to something that's already 80% done, but I'm just making better. It's kind of like, I'm not, like the first iPhone took years to come out, but now every year is a new iPhone because they, are, they have the core figured out. It's easy to refine something that's already in place, right? Um, and so it, t- it took, you know, now it's, it, I mean, I, I ran a beta test on my, on my fourth edition for, before, you know, it's not quite done yet. And it went really, really well. So now I know for sure people love the new content, right? Um, but it's much, it's much easier once you have the first version done. If, you, if I was to build a brand new course, like tomorrow on, say, sales leadership, right? That would take me a long time. It would take me probably easily six months just to do. So because, what is uh, the primary method for you for selling right now? Is, I mean, is your sales motion really just demand gen and content production right now? Because yeah. I, I would argue that mine is right now. Because yeah. I'm not at a place right now where, you know, I'm picking up the phone and cold calling people. I'm sure as hell not cold emailing people trying to drum up, you know, no business. Right. And so it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you talking, all of your stuff is digital and you're like, I'm lazy and I don't yeah. want to work that much. It's like, yeah. okay, here's a guy who put in the time mm-hmm. who's now trying to optimize for earning, like how do I make as much money as possible with as little constant daily effort? And that's yes. the optimization there. So yes. Your motion to drive, you know, purchases the course and, and whatnot. Yes. Is that all demand gen stuff, or is there other? All right, and I'm changing a little bit, right? So I mean, with my new program now, because it's gonna be a higher ticket item, that'll turn into sales calls, right? Uh, as long as they qualify for it, right? Um, but before it's not, it's not, it's not official yet. But before it was automated, so either. I do a webinar and sell off the webinar, right? You know, uh, and that was that was the easy way. And then I then I built an evergreen funnel, right? Which means it's just it's just automated, 
So people go through a sequence, they get warmed up through my sequence, and then they go and they buy my program at the end of the sequence, right? You know, and that's all automated through funnels that I've, I've digitized, you know, through different programs and email software, right? Um, and that's stuff I had to learn because I'm, a, I'm from the direct sales world, right? And learning the internet marketing and building a digital funnel that's optimized is a very different game. Something I had to learn completely new, something very different. Well, we're kind of coming up to the, the end of our time. I wish I wish we had more more time, but um, what can we do for you? You know, we try to end every show saying, how can we be helpful? You know, got any questions for us or is there anything that, you know, you're working on that you haven't talked about yet that you want people to know about? Uh, you know, I, I think first off, thanks for having me on. I mean, absolute blast. Right? I, I think we could probably could have chat for like hours at a time, you know. It'd be a pretty crazy long podcast. I was telling Scott that we don't really have to work real hard with you, that we could probably just like drop a word like rainbows or unicorns and yeah. you just, just have to be sort of go. I'm like, don't rainbows? I got, I got something for you. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my big thing right now is, um, I, so I actually have a, a, a private, private uh, Facebook community, right? So if they just held, uh, head to, you know, uh, you know, sell more, sell better.io, it'll redirect my private community where it's completely free. I do free live trainings, free tactics, strategies, et cetera. You go right inside there and that's all it's completely free so that's my, that's my big thing right now because it's um it i like that group because lets me control the uh the algorithm more if you will to give content to people that want to learn more cool. Cool. cool awesome all right scott this is it this is your test here we go here we go you ready yeah, we, we gotta drop our sponsor today's episode is brought to you by lead 411 where you can get unlimited mobile direct phone numbers sales data via role changes, job changes, and funding updates, along with a slick Chrome extension that plugs directly into LinkedIn, lead411.com. Dude, that sounded almost as bad as the first one. Do it without reading it. Come on. Okay, yeah, now, right. now I'm coaching you. Read you. It. you read yeah. it. Okay, look, hey everybody, if you need to get more mobile numbers or you're looking for intent data and you want to be able to do it from your browser with a cool extension on Chrome, then please check out our sponsor at lead411. See, so this is why you should do the sponsors all the time. You understand, you understand, you understand technology. I don't understand this stuff. No, but they, you know, like this was what makes it more fun for me to put, you know, tease you about something. So. It's okay. What everybody doesn't know is we put this dynamic in place for the episode on purpose. It's all intentional. Just, so we did just to yeah. illustrate yeah. this. It's idea. very well it's scripted. Crazy. You couldn't tell it was a script. It's very well scripted. Yeah. Hey, Marcus. Yeah. Thanks for thanks. Hey, for appreciate you spending too. some time with us, Marcus. We enjoyed it a lot. It was awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. See you.